All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hashira Half Hour. I am here today making it happen with uh, some coffee and an insatiable love for anime analysis, as usual. And I am joined by Hannah and Brian. I'll let them go ahead and introduce themselves, too. Hannah first. Uh, I uh, am currently dealing with depression thanks to anime. Hannah, here. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) What's up, guys? It's Brian. I'm the person who leans on animated characters for emotional support and support in life. I'd like to say thank you to Uncle Iroh for holding my mic up today. Much appreciated. He is a sturdy boy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about and analyzing episode three of Demon Slayer titled Destroy. Um, Although the title indicates destruction, we decided this week that we wanted to watch and analyze it through the lens of protection, uh, particularly protection for a loved one or someone that you care deeply about. So I'll go ahead and kind of kick it off. I, I think that this theme is touched on in a number of interesting ways in the episode. And the first that comes to mind for me is Tanjiro and Nezuko's entire relationship. Of course, Um, I think that's already been pretty well established and is probably the most obvious, but their entire dynamic in this episode is built on mutual protection. Um, At this point, Nezuko has now fallen into a mysterious and very deep slumber from which she cannot be awoken. And Tanjiro is penning a journal for her so that if and when she does wake up, um, she'll be filled in on his multiple years of training and that all of that training and all of that hard work and dedication is rooted in his desire to protect her. Um, You know, he's looking for that way to return his last living sister into a human form. So I think that's the first way that I kind of noticed the theme of protection in the episode. Do you guys have any thoughts on the lengths that Tanjiro is going to to protect Nezuko, especially in this episode? I mean... He's going full send for her, right? Like, I think it's really interesting in anime how they portray the concept of time passing, right? Because this episode has an entire year's worth of, like, time in it. And we see so much uh, destruction in Tanjiro's own, like, kind of self-confidence to a certain extent but also his ability to overcome some of that like pushback with commitment by following through on that promise, right? He really holds that very valuable. And I feel like that's that family value that's rooting him forward. Like that's really the only thing that keeps him going is like, I have a promise to keep. And I think he's just trying to fulfill that promise at this point. He doesn't know what the rest of it looks like, but he just knows there's an end goal at some point that he needs to reach. I just think that speaks volumes about him as a protagonist. Absolutely. I mean, you know me, I always have thoughts about Tanjiro. (laughs) 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 Um, But I actually just watched this episode again this morning and I was thinking kind of about like my own life and as someone who like goes to the gym almost every day, I lack a lot of motivation sometimes sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm just like I don't want to do this so I don't go like I just choose not to go and Tanjiro is just like the type of person where like his master literally said all right I'm done training you and I think a lot of people in in that aspect would just say okay cool 
Um, I have to slice this rock, but clearly I can't do it. So I'm just going to give up, you know, and he almost gets to that point where he gives up. But then obviously with the help of Sabito and Makamo, they come up in a moment, but um, he had written down all the stuff in his journal and he just kept going and he was losing sleep. We see him writing in his journal and ruling and like <laughs> falling asleep. And yet he still wakes up the next day. He does his training. He completely disciplines himself to show up. And I sit there and I'm just like, bro, like, again, I say sometimes I'm going to the gym and I'm like, I just don't want to do this. So I don't. And that's not life or death. You know, some of his training is literally death defying. He could die. There's swords, there's knives, there's a mountain that he could fall off the side of. And he still shows up every day. And it's all with Nezuko in mind. You know, like when he's pushed into the water, he's screaming, Nezuko! You know, he just, everything that he's doing (laughs) is for her. And he has so much discipline for himself to do it. And it's so inspiring. I love him so much. If Tandaro was alive in uh, present day, I definitely feel like he'd be saying, do you even lift, bro? (laughs) I could see that. I could see him being like, like nice, but like kind of like a gym chat a little bit. Oh, <laughs> he would be like that gym coach that's just like, one more, you can do it, you can do it. And everyone's like, stop, like you're too much. Like you, you definitely have the passion for what you're doing, but like bring that passion in a form or an avenue that's going to reach your body. <laughs> right. That's interesting though. Like, cause something that you both brought up is, uh, you know, like this kind of like routine or something and, and like this drive that he has moving him forward. But something that's different about this anime to a lot of others that I've watched is kind of the usage of time, especially in this arc. Um, you know, a lot of different shonen animes are going to have like enormous training arcs. And there's something to be said for that because it's, <laughs> you know, it's the journey, it's the underdog story, it's the training. Like we've seen it a million times, but this show really differs in the way that they approach that. But I definitely think that like the end result is still received pretty well. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? It's very unique. I think that it's really interesting that you brought that up because I actually wrote that down while I was watching the episode is that... Okay, same. So we're all on the same page, right? Uh, Tanjiro just has this ability to um, thrive in these critical moments where it's really a make or break time for him, right? So, uh, you know, in that fight later that we see in the episode with Sabito, um, he finally gets that first strike in, right? It's that critical moment where it's like, this is do or die because he's coming at you with a real sword now. It's the first time he's seeing that real sword against him. And so he just has this like, uncanny ability to take the circumstances that are with him and then come up with this very intuitive solution to it right we see it later in other seasons where he is able to have a flexible mindset and i think that's just really what makes him the best protagonist is that we don't see all of like what could be considered filler but we see the most critical moments and i think because we only see those critical moments we get a lot more attached to the character and we also get a lot more impact out of it Yeah, well, I think, you know, training arcs are good and they can definitely feed to a story, especially in a situation like this where he's going from someone who's never picked up a sword to a swordsman, you know, like a skilled swordsman at that. And 
Um, <laughs> my husband might kill me for saying this on the podcast, but he's been watching anime for a very, very long time since he was in like junior high. And we were on this episode the first time we watched this show and he looked me square in the eye after like two years had passed. And he said, two years have passed in one episode. I love this anime. Uh, I think there's, <laughs> there's, there's something to be said about training arcs, but they can have a tendency to just drag on and on. And I think the show just did a very good job at showing that a lot of time did pass and he worked extremely hard, but not in the sense of just giving us a bunch of episodes of it. It was like his hands being extremely torn up at the end. It was, you know, the the visual of the mountains with snow and then no snow and his hair growing longer, which shout out for long hair Tanjiro should have lasted a little bit longer. Um, and it was just like expert storytelling, in my opinion. It didn't need to go on longer than it did. We wanted to get to the meat of the story, which is Demon Slayer. So shout out to the author and to the animators for just doing a really great job at that. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And I actually think this is a good point to probably transition into the moments of the training that I felt were highlighted in the storytelling. Um, I think that I, I completely agree. They really did a nice job kind of breezing over some of the more basic training that we have seen in countless other stories, but they chose to hone in on a few key moments, I think, in the training. And so for me, that kind of brings us back to this theme of protection that we were analyzing um, because we had an introduction as well this episode to two new characters that are very mysterious. Um, we have Sabito and Mahoko, and they appear to Tanjiro at this episode at exactly the moment that he needs them in his training. Um, and, and they kind of further that training after Irokodaki steps away. Um, they put him through like some rigorous sparring and, you know, other training activities to make sure that he's not only able to slice the boulder, but also to pass those requirements that had been set for him to be able to move on to the final selection process. Um, so without getting too far ahead of ourselves, what reasons do you think that they might have to appear to him in this moment and to help a boy that they have only just met? Yeah, I think... There is the possibility, and I've grappled a lot with like the meaning of those two characters because we obviously know that they're not actually there, you know. But what is their their point of helping him? And I do feel like there's partly just their souls being tied to the earth until the demon that killed them is defeated. And I think there's a possibility that while I believe Tanjiro was like the next one that Rokidaki took on after them. Um, if that had continued, I think they would have materialized to all of them, just kind of out of their sense of protection for all of Uro <laughs> I always say his name wrong, Rokidaki's uh, students. And almost like it's, it's not just their natural ability, but like they have to almost is what I feel like they have a tie to the earth until their souls can be released because of that demon, which getting a little bit into the next episode, but um, I think that's partially why they're still there. Yeah, <clears throat> kind of going off that and taking it in a little bit of a different direction. I first when I first saw them come up for Tanjiro to like finally see I definitely got like Avatar The Last Airbender vibes from like the spirit world. And I'm like, this is like essentially like, it gave me like that very end scene where 
Aang is like meeting with all the other avatars before the Fire Lord. Like that's kind of the same concept here, right? Mm -hmm. He's looking into the past kind of to see how he can go forward with kind of this very large task at hand, right? Comparatively, Aang has to be the Fire Lord. So it's kind of his end stage. But Tanjiro, I feel like they use this conversely to build farther the story and this character arc by saying, hey, here's someone who's going to need to help you. And like in the story, the reason they showed up is because they kind of have, again, that same connection to Tanjiro as the avatars did to Aang, right? They see that their former master has a new pupil and they understand that this person's going into final selection. They died there. So even kind of like stepping away from the demon, I feel like partially they may have that personal responsibility to say, hey, I died here. I don't want someone else to die. And so it's just yeah. part of like their demon slayer characters or their character as a demon slayer, if you will. Yeah, I like that there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of look at those two characters. Um, I think I've seen like a lot of other opinions on like how Tanjiro was able to interact with them. So like physically, since they weren't actually like there really. Um, but I, I like that you bring up that they you know, they want to see someone succeed after their deaths. And it just goes to show how much they're willing to protect Odokodaki himself, because I think they all really care about him and they don't want to see him lose another pupil either. True. Yeah, especially given that I, I think it's pretty heavily insinuated that he hasn't taken on a new pupil in some time and that this mm -hmm. is kind of a rare exception for him to be moving forward and, you, you know, even with Giyu's recommendation, he's like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to like whip this kid into shape. Like he's a little bit too soft, but um, I, I think mean, that, no, go for it. I was going to say, even that in its sense of itself, right? Like that sentiment that Orokodaki has for Tanjiro that he's too soft, that's a form of protection in its own, right? Because he's mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to willingly send you out to this exam knowing you're going to die. Like that's just slaughter. So I feel like there's like so many different ways that protection is like sprinkled into this episode. Yeah. Well, that's probably why the challenges of going down the mountain got so harsh is because obviously, yes, Tanjiro could have died if he just done one wrong step, but that's the case when you're facing a demon, you have one wrong step, you trip over your toes like I do every day, <laughs> you know, that could mean death. And <laughs> I think, you know, transi transitioning into Orokodaki and his feeling of protection over Tanjiro, you know, he, like Emily said, has not taken on a new pupil in a while. And it's probably because he's seen so many of his pupils just not, not come back, you know, from final selection. They've just, they've died over and over again. I think there's 13 or 14 of them that he trained that all were killed by this demon. And he is now gaining feelings for Tanjiro because he's been training them for training him for like two years. And you have to kind of have some kind of fatherly love feelings towards someone where you're training them day in, day out like that. And you're seeing them progress. And as funny as it is, I feel like the obstacles getting harder and more deadly is still like his form of showing protection towards Tanjiro because he wants to make sure no matter what, that he is ready to face that demon. And I think the the rock that he had Tanjiro slice was supposedly the biggest one of all of them um, because every single one of them that went to final selection sliced the rock, but they weren't able to still defeat him. So he's showing that protection by making his training harder so that he goes in more ready for it. 
Yeah, I definitely think that he has a soft spot for Tanjiro. Um, and and maybe maybe it's like his uh, resilience and his eagerness to like keep that promise that we talked about at the beginning here. Um, but there's there's something special about this like sibling duo though too because you would think that his instinct as a teacher would be like to immediately go for Nezuko as well kind of the way that you had that additional in that initial instinct uh but he doesn't I don't think that he really has that moment he's just like yeah go ahead and go through this training you need to know what the consequences are going to be if she does something but I'll protect her for you because I know what you're trying to do so it's like another another way to protect both of them but that's someone's said, a doctor for her <laughs> What was that? He even summons a doctor for her when, oh, yeah. you know, she's yeah. been asleep for like six months and they're like, what's going on? He summons a doctor. Yeah. Try to protect somebody that his pupil loves, but that he would otherwise probably be kind of seeking out to do a little bit of murder time on. <laughs> so it's murder time. Stop. <laughs> Murder time, murder time. It's all time to murder demons. Exactly. <laughs> it's in the name. What can we say? There it is. <laughs> and with that being said, I think that is another good transition point for um, the final point that I noticed that I think would really bring out the theme of protection again is just like the bigger, much, much bigger picture here. Um, right at the beginning of the episode, there's a really nice moment with Orokodaki where he mentions that the demon slayers as a collective fight in spite of their mortal bodies and their inability to heal quickly or regenerate, and that they do this out of a sheer need to protect all of humanity. So that's a much larger theme. I do think that it ties directly into the overall story. I'm curious about what your thoughts are. Um, do you feel that we've already seen that quality in the Demon Slayers that we have already met in the show and how? I can go first. All right. So <clears throat> looking at it, right, um, I first want to call out how they kind of transitioned like... Um, like structurally how they structured the episode, right? So the very first part of the episode, you see Orokodaki Tanjiro staring at the door, staring at Nezuko, theme song, right? Theme song goes, then we get that actual like description of just like demon slayers and demons themselves. I feel like that was kind of um, some expose, some like form of prelude. And I feel like that was a really cool way to kind of describe and kind of foreshadow the arc that we know Tanjiro is going to embark on, right? We know now that there's going to be deaths from what we see in there. We know that people are going to lose their arms and limbs from this kind of prelude. So I really just liked how that was set up um, with kind of how we see that protection of humanity and that overarching theme. I see that in you very, very strongly, just because that first episode, right? He was willing to kill Nezuko because he's like, this is a demon. This is someone who's going to hurt someone else down the line. And it is my job to stop this. Right. So you have someone who's already very aligned with the value of, you know, protecting humans in whatever cost it may be, even at the cost of some other humans feelings about this demon. Right. So it's just a very, ingrained principle that they follow and i guess for lack of a better term it's one of the pillars of being a pillar boom but um, 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The the title of Demon Slayer, the entire job is putting your life on the line to protect humans that, you know, maybe don't have the sword abilities or the just fighting capabilities to defend themselves should they encounter a demon. And so these these people are willingly putting their their lives on the line so that those that are weaker and, you know, we see that theme come up in season two a lot, um, that that's what they want to do. And this is one of those jobs where, you know, you clock in for work every day and you could die, you know, but you're willing to do it to, to protect and kind of also going back to Giyu, you know, I'll always talk about Giyu as well in the first episode, um, kind of calling back to that moment again, that was my favorite part of that, that episode when we can see inside his thoughts when he's, you know, kind of yelling at Tanjiro and being mean to him, but we're actually seeing that he's empathetic. He specifically calling out when he says, if I had gone here sooner, I could have protected your family or I could have saved your family. And he just naturally leans towards wishing that he could have protected everyone involved. And he's willing to disregard the feelings of those around him in order to continue to protect. And that's why he wanted to kill Nezuko. And then he protected or saved Nezuko because he saw her protecting Tanjiro. And so we see that theme come up so much that it's really a core part of the entire story, in my opinion. Absolutely. You do a big protect. And a big attack. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I think, I, I mean, it's the key theme overall, and I'm sure that we'll continue to see it embodied in so many different people as the show continues on, but... I think that probably brings us to a good and natural conclusion of this little section. So we're just going to transition now into speaking briefly about our favorite moments from this week's episode. So I'll go ahead and go first. My favorite moment is at the end of the episode, of course, and it's when Tanjiro challenges Sabito to that final duel and he finally wins after an additional like however many months of training. Um, The really beautiful moment for me is when Sabito is like unmasked and the mask is split in half and we just get to see that like really forlorn, like soft smile that he has. Um, To me, that's like a really wonderful and tender moment because we've only seen him show extraordinarily tough love to Tanjiro up to this point, like very harsh words, harsher fights and sparring that they've had to make sure that he is strong enough for that final selection. and so that that moment, that like little break in the character where there is this moment of softness from him, um, you know, that inferring that he's like just proud of the growth that he's seen, that he's almost taken on a little bit of a pupil of his own um, and that he knows that Tanjiro might be able to go carry that weight for them at the final selection and to make all of them proud. Um, that's my favorite moment. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, and that kind of is a perfect segue into not my favorite moment, but I did write down that I wanted to shout out uh, the voice actor for Sabido uh, for my Attack on Titan fans out there. It is the same voice actor as Aaron from Attack on Titan, and Yuki Kaji is probably one of my favorite Japanese voice actors. He just has such an amazing range, so I just wanted to call that out. Tangent. Um, But my personal favorite moment um, is at the very beginning when they're explaining the Demon Slayers. We kind of touched on that a little bit, but I specifically wanted to call out some foreshadowing because a lot of people like to say that Demon Slayer is very straightforward and doesn't really have foreshadowing. It's just kind of like you follow the story as it goes. But 
I did catch a couple things. Um, and that is, especially when he's explaining the demon slayers and we're seeing those visuals of them like in this big battle against demons. But we see these people up on a mountain, which at this point in the story, we don't really know who any of them are. We do see Giyu is a part of that group and he is like fully drawn. You can see him completely normally. He's standing there, but he's surrounded by these people that aren't, it's more like silhouettes. And obviously we know who those are as we have seen the show multiple times, but it's a call straight to these nine people that are extremely powerful and they place them on top of the mountain. And I think that perfectly shows just what kind of people they are and how important they are going to be to the story because they're not just a part of the bunch of demon slayers on the ground fighting. They're, they're specifically placed up on a mountain to kind of foreshadow how powerful they are and the role that they're going to play. So I really enjoyed that moment now that I kind of know where the story is going and who those people are. I think it's a great way for them to kind of foreshadow just the immense power of those people. Damn. That is a lot more meaningful than my favorite <laughs> moment of this episode. I usually um, don't have meaningful stuff, so it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Man, um, kind of ironic because I've done a lot. I've like compared to a lot of other animes. Um, I do think that some of my favorite moments in this episode weren't the most meaningful, but they were the comedic relief. And I think that this is the first time we really see comedic relief used in Demon Slayer. Uh, I do like that we get to see finally the lighter side of the story, right? Because there are some lighthearted moments here and there are some times where we get to see that. Specifically when um, Tanjiro is at the waterfall and he's like training at the waterfall like this. Like that's literally a direct thing or at least from my point of view, I see it as a comparison to a training arc from Naruto when, or Naruto Shippuden, when he's also at the waterfall for like days. And I was like, I see you Demon Slayer. I see where that's coming from. <laughs> and so <laughs> I just laughed really hard because I feel like a lot of animes have so much crossover, but how they take, um, you know, individual bits or scenes from one another and then give them different meaning in their context is really cool. I really like that, even though it, you know, it, it might be a smaller moment. I don't think that that means that it is unimportant. The humor is so needed to kind of counteract a lot of tragedy that's in this show. Mm -hmm. um, and it is really cool to see like the little call outs to other shows, like, like their predecessors and to kind of keep like that mythology of these stories kind of like looping throughout and to see those gentle call outs, because if Demon Slayer borrows, you know, some things from, Naruto or from other shows that I've seen it compared to like Full Metal Alchemist like then those shows borrowed from something before it mm -hmm. who borrowed from before them and before them like tying back into that like original mythology of some of these fighters which I just think is so cool so I think it it's an important moment <laughs> it's so I think it's too. important and he's screaming Nezuko the whole time because he's doing all that to protect her <laughs> exactly Nezuko, I am the water I am water and we're back to protection. <laughs> I think I think that that's probably um, a good stopping point, unless either of you had any other points you were wanting to bring up regarding protection or favorite moments. No? No? No. Okay. All right, friends. Well, 
thank you again for joining us this week. It's been really nice to get to talk about protection and some of these great moments in the show. Again, we're going to keep it going next week. Um, if you've liked what you've heard today, then please don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, do all the things. If you leave a question for us in the comments, you might get to see us answer it in a future episode. So please don't hesitate to leave those there for us. We would love that. Um, and don't forget to follow us across all social media at Hashira Half Hour. We are on TikTok um, where we post about all kinds of different anime. Um, and then we're on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter as well. So that's what we've got. Thank you again. We appreciate you listening in today and we will see you all next time. Umai. Bye. Umai. Ha 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 ha!